All right, welcome to the We Shape podcast, everyone. Hello. It's a new year, season two. We have excited. You weren't here last time. We missed you, Nina. Yeah, that's yes. true. I was homesick. Sorry, yeah. everybody. <laughs> We're all back today. Wonderful. I'm excited to start a new year. Um, I know the new year can also uh, bring a lot of expectations for people. Um, specifically, this time of year is really traditionally known for weight loss goals and changing the way we look. So I'm, I'm really excited about our guest today because I'm hoping that we can dissect some of those goals a little bit more and better understand why we set those in the first place. So I want to jump right in because I awesome. think we have a lot to talk about today. So um, I'm going to have Nina go ahead and read the bio of our guest today. I'm and so she's excited. waiting for us. So we'll just jump right in after and the bio. By the way, I'm just looking at this bio. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> She's an accomplished whoa. person. I'm excited. I got to talk with Dr. Dowsett recently, and we I was like, I want this girl to be my best friend. She's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'll go ahead and read her accomplishments. So Dr. Dowsett is our guest today. She is a chartered counseling psychologist offering support to people who would like to be helped, uh, excuse me, to would like help to break free from diet culture and repair their relationship with their bodies and food. Dr. Dowsett is the founder of the Init Intuitive, I'm sorry, my guys, I need to wear glasses. The founder of the Intuitive Psychology Academy, where she offers one-on-one -on -one therapy to clients using both a psychodynamic lens and cognitive behavioral therapy approach. Herself and her colleague, Becca Ellis, co-host an online course called The Diet Culture Dropout and offer their resources via their Instagram platform and website, providing psychoeducation on these important mental health topics. Dr. Dowsett has over 14 years of clinical experience and has worked in various settings, including university student therapy teams and the National Health Service and an addiction and neurological rehabilitation center. During her career, she has found that regardless of the settings she has worked in, there were persistent mental health presentations that centered around body image dissatisfaction, dieting, and the overarching pressure to adhere to societal expectations, particularly for those identifying as female. This clinical experience with clients in conjunction with her own explorations around her relationship with her body, food, dieting, led her to pursue further training, and in such, she, shut, she set up with the academy, Academy, man, we're going to have to redo this, and qualified as a certified intuitive eating practitioner. Dr. Dowsett lives close to the beach on the south coast of England with her husband and son and spends lots of time in her family beach hut, where she enjoys connecting with loved ones, eating good food, drinking tea, and beachcombing. Whew. That's a yeah. great bio. Well, well, we'll welcome Dr. Dowsett. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking about these really important topics. Yeah. I mean, especially, like I said, with the new year here, um, We Shape has really been trying to hone in on telling people to bail on their scale and and not have weight loss be mm. the goal this year and set different intentions. But before we get into all of that, I'd love to just ask you, what got you into this field? Like, how, how did you end up here today doing this type of meaningful work? Well, I think a bit like we talked about in the bio, that sense of kind of that thread of um, people who identify as female in particular, but at the moment, I'm currently working with two men who are struggling with their body image and diet culture, disordered eating. But yeah, regardless of the setting that I've worked in, there's always been this thread of body image dissatisfaction and disordered eating. So I became quite curious about why that was the solution that people kind of went to in terms of managing their mental health. In conjunction with the fact that 
eating disorders has the highest mortality rate out of all psychiatric disorders. Wow. Oh my God. So, know you know, women in particular are literally dying to be thin. So people are dying. This is, this is, um, yeah, really important issues. So I wanted to understand a bit more about it. And often with mental health um, treatments and interventions, we often think about it in terms of the individual, you know, what's going on in your life and what's happened in your earlier experiences that are contributing to these struggles that you've got today. But that didn't feel as though it really fitted with disordered eating and body image dissatisfaction because what we know is that it's our culture and particularly diet culture that contributes and perpetuates the cycle of body image dissatisfaction and dieting. Um, so I really wanted to kind of explore that a little bit more. But then at the very same time, I was exploring and trying to understand my own relationship with my body and with food because I had been on, on and off diets for a very long time and was very kind of preoccupied with my outward appearance. So I'd be sat in front of clients thinking about their levels of distress and how to work with them, but at the very same time, kind of engaging in those behaviours that were perpetuating their distress and also my distress and seeing how that was really impacting on my mental health and my ability to concentrate or focus. So I was having my therapy, had lots of therapy to understand my stuff in order to sit in front of other people and understand their stuff. Um, and I was talking to my therapist about it and I, and I, I, I remember kind of getting to a point where I was feeling content with my body, but feeling as though I should be engaging in exercise and as though I should be dieting and I should be upholding these scripts around disliking my body. I felt as though I was somehow going against the grain by wanting to stop that. And so, yeah, lots of therapy kind of going back and forth. And my therapist said, have you read um, Susie Orbach's Fat is a Feminist Issue? And that was kind of really like a door opening for me in terms of understanding that this is these issues are placed as part of a much wider oppressive system of harm and not so much about me as an individual or my clients as individuals um so yeah that really got the ball rolling and i just wanted to learn more and then i was like oh my goodness and there was so much to learn and there still is so much to learn but what i understand now is that when i work with people with body image dissatisfaction and disordered eating is that it's not about the individual this is not about a problem that exists within them it's a problem that exists within our society mm. Absolutely. Wow. Well, that is really powerful. And um, I think that, you know, if any, if, if people are listening right now and they just leave with that awareness, I think that's a step in the right direction, right? Because I think what happens and tell me if this has been your experience, but is you think that that's you and really it's society. And there's a big difference. And so when that voice comes in that you should, 
you can mm. go, oh, <laughs> that's society. That's not actually me. Because yeah. I believe that human beings in their most, most authentic version of them, those narratives don't exist, right? There's only love and compassion and, <laughs> and uh, self-acceptance and appreciation, right? There's, there's not all, all, yeah. a lot of those other narratives that are coming in. So I think that it just really, first of all, highlights how important the work that you're doing is and how fascinating that you worked in, in various psychological environments trying to help people elite, you know, um, get relief and you notice that thread. I mean, that's really powerful if we sit in that for a moment, right? So, yeah. um, gosh, I don't – where do you want to start, Nina? This I is just like, want to make an, <laughs> like a, a confession yeah. because yeah. I like hearing you talk about having your own experience with your own body dissatisfaction as you're helping other people with theirs is like something I really resonate with. Um, when we started this podcast and we're like, I really care about this topic. I really believe in this um, being something that needs to be dismantled. It is a system of oppression that affects so very many people. Um, and I remember when we started this podcast together, you were like, let's do this. We're going to – it's going to be great. And I'm like at home counting Weight Watchers points, you know, being like, wait mm -hmm. a second, this feels really like like this cognitive dissonance of like I'm doing this thing because I want this outcome, but I'm preaching this other thing because I do really believe in it. But my own experience and like how like difficult that is and to continue to perpetuate something that you actually like know better and believe differently then. Um, and so to hear that mm -hmm. that's an experience that you have also shared is like so fascinating because I'm like, it's so deep. It really runs so deep in your oh. psyche. And yeah. we're taught to dislike ourselves. You don't, as a little kid, you don't grow up and say, I really dislike the way these overalls look on me today as a toddler. Mm. And then you get bigger and someone says something negative about themselves. And suddenly you catch yourself in the reflection in the mirror and you're like, oh, I don't like that thing you either. Catch the virus of you catch it. It's right? like, it's contagious. Absolutely. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's just something I wanted to, to make a confession that like, and I have since deleted <laughs> that app. I don't no longer um, do that. But it was such a difficult thing to be like, I believe in this and I'm still kind of suffering with the consequences of it. Well, I was actually on a podcast before this, ep like a few minutes ago, <laughs> and um, I was telling him, we just did that social media post around like changing your relationship with the mirror. Yeah. Like when you go to the mirror, we're so taught to just like, hey, what are we going to nitpick? And it's like, okay, well, a practice is offering three points of appreciation for something about your body. So the gentleman on the podcast said, "Okay, I'd like to challenge you. So, what are three things that you like about yourself when Ooh, you look burned. in the when you look in the mirror?" <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, it's one thing to do that practice in your mind, <laughs> but to get on the air and tell someone." So I like literally, you guys, was like shaking, and I was like, "Well, I guess oh. I like these things." And then I said to him, "I said, listen, that was really hard for me, and I want to also offer myself grace and and and." appreciation for the process that I'm taking. I said, you know, just because I founded this company does not mean that I am fully recovered from this. I am in my own yeah. process as well. And it's really hard to say those things out loud. And I am not going to pretend that I have figured all of this out. I started this company because I knew that we needed to figure it out together. Yeah. And that it's a it's a probably yeah. going to be a lifelong unwinding. Um, but it was yeah. wild to have to do that. With an <laughs> audience. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think there is an end point to this either. I think it is very, and it's not linear. You know, we can have days where we feel okay about our bodies and then other days when we feel triggered. And so this is a very messy process. It's so true. Mm -hmm. I love how you said that in order to understand them and sit across from them, you had to understand yourself. 
I feel like yeah. so few people look in the mirror and really try to deeply understand themselves. And when you do, you find a lot of empathy and compassion for yourself if you're consistent with it. Yeah. And that helps you build that empathy and compassion for other. And that's the virus we want to spread, yeah. you know, yeah. at the end of the day. So I'm yeah. curious, like, what is I, it I that really you, believe that. what is it that you see when you're sitting across from somebody and, and how do you help them start to take those steps? You know, like I had a conversation with my dad the other day about the new year and he was like, I want to lose weight this year. And I was like, yeah, like let's, let's reframe that. Let's set a process-based goal. Let's do something to care for ourselves. Like, and it just was so clear to me that he couldn't even take that first step. So how do you get somebody from mm -hmm. that mindset of like, like you said, Katie, this is me thinking that the societal norm is themselves. How do you get them to just start building that awareness that it's not them? Well, I think it's important to really understand the motive behind that desire for weight loss. Because when a client talks about weight loss or our own pursuits for weight loss, it was never really about weight loss. It was never about losing fat from our bodies. It was about either maybe control or acquiring love and appreciation and respect. Because remember this kind of seductive system of diet culture is all about if you fit our ideals, then you will be accepted, you will be loved. Yeah. So when somebody says, I want to lose weight, I think, what is the weight that you want to lose? You know, it's not the actual weight on your body. What is it that you want to shed? Um, it can also be about control, you know, so this sense that something else in their lives is out of control and that they want to be able to exhibit control. And the only way we can really do that is with ourselves. We don't have control over other people or external things. So the only way we can really exhibit control in our in the world is through our through ourselves. Although that then has consequences which leads to feeling out of control. So it's only ever temporary. Um, but if somebody says, you know, for example, that they want to lose weight, it can also be about that idea that it's about health and if we dig really deep if that is we know that that's problematic because weight and health are so commonly linked together but there's so many problems with that sure. but if we dig a bit deeper with that that idea that it's kind of an existential threat of if I'm not healthy if we chunk that right down it's about I then could die Wow. You know, I need to be healthy because why, 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 why? We get to the bottom of that kind of fear of death or fear of illness or fear of being out of control in your body. Then there's also kind of the underlying trauma. So quite often when I work with clients, the reason I have the course is because the course and the kind of um, CBT or... Um, intuitive eating is kind of more top surface stuff you know that's psychoeducation in terms of we need to unlearn what we've been taught but the underlying stuff is is often about trauma and earlier life experiences and relational templates with caregivers that have gone unprocessed and so a way to um a way to deal with that pain can often be through the process of control and then they exist within a society that has this kind of system that says use this as a way to control and everybody celebrates you for it it's so true does that 
Am I making sense yeah, with that? Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. That... I, I mean, you're Trojan horsing your way into a much deeper conversation with people because, uh, and we do a similar thing with movement. You know, most people come to us, it's like, hey, I have a ache in my shoulder. And then they sign up and then they get, hey, let's learn to show up for uh, your workouts out of self-care rather than self-judgment. You know, let's really start to learn to yeah. appreciate what our bodies can do. Yeah, I had a guest the other day. So we do these community calls because... One of the things I realized right off the bat is if we're going to sell a workout product that's rooted in self-care and self-acceptance and self-love, that's going to be completely against the grain. And that's going to be hard for people to, to sustain without some sort of community support. So we have these daily support yeah. calls where we call in and we offer like, oh, this is going well for me or this I'm really struggling with. Just support, right? And this woman was on the other yeah. day and she said, well, you know, I, it's hard for me not to think about the weight loss because then my body can do these things. And she was, she was basically thinking that if I was this weight, then I could do this or move this way. And I said, I want to I challenge that belief because there are plenty of people who are your weight or even more who can absolutely do those movements. And so it's actually not yeah. about the number on the scale. It's not about the weight. We have, we've been like indoctrinated into a system that says only thin people can move their bodies in a certain way. And that's simply not, not true. true. It's not true. No, we can be fat and fit. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's plenty of research that conveniently we don't have access to, you know, that diet culture very much shields us from. There's plenty of research that says that you can be fat and fit and metabolic, metabolically fit and healthy. Um, but yeah, we we don't have that. That is not widespread that research purposefully, so that it keeps the industries profitable. And there's so much judgment as well. I, um, of course, like any person my age, spend a lot of time on the internet. And um, I have come across, you know, little samples of things. And a lot of my algorithm is around this kind of work and stuff because I've fed my algorithm. I want to see more positive, you know, relationships with bodies and intuitive eating and such. But occasionally I'll come across something that fits more the normal societal narrative which is like so much judgment and around the new year I've been seeing things like a, 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 a fat person in the gym for instance and people are like you know this isn't on this is unhealthy and it's like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't mm -hmm. you know like watching a fat person do yoga and they're like oh my god why are they even bothering or whatever and you're like this is so crazy like why would that be your response to that that person is allowed to celebrate the way their body moves and enjoy themselves in their physical form like I just find I it mean, disturbing I we've talked about this before but the if, if people could just sit in this idea that like there is one body type and all of the fitness industry and whatever toxic messaging is trying to get everyone to be this one body type but there's eight billion people in the world <laughs> that is not that isn't even like logically sound it's not but we believe no. that and yeah. I'm like there are thousands millions of different body types like why do we think there's only one and the yeah. body type changes every decade yeah. so That's like true. we can't even yeah, pin can't it down win. it's like it's just whatever the, the cultural you know <laughs> norm is one thing i really appreciate yeah. about what you said um before is is that why that underlying intention we talk about that a lot and we shape in fact when somebody comes in we ask them like why are you why are you here and then when they give us something that's a little bit more surface, we say, well, why do you want to do that? And we just repeat that process until we get to the root of it. You know, hey, I'm afraid. Like you said, I really love the health thing that you said, because ultimately that comes down to I don't want to die. 
I don't want to die, you know, feeling like I didn't get to live my life the way I wanted to live it. And, you know, being able to move yeah. your body and appreciate what it can do for you is a huge part of, I think, um, the joy of living, you know. Um, and I have a, you know, just a follow up. So people all of a sudden have this awareness, right? You, you kind of ask them questions, you know, they just go, wait, well, I'm, I'm doing that for that reason. What's next? What are, what are the tips, the tools, the things that you, you offer them to start building, um, I guess, a better habit around their self-image? Well, I think that's interesting you say tips and tools because the this is such a deep-rooted kind of um, relationship with being human and being messy. And sometimes we can get caught in that need to have tips and tools as a way to find a solution out of it in the same way that we might have tips and tools as a way to manage our bodies or manage um, our food. So you're using the same, there are no the same strategy. There are no it's yeah. the same system. Yeah. Yeah. There's no quick tips and tools to being human, to feeling, to being able to, make things nice and neat with a with a bow what i would say is that the way that i work is to really focus in on the kind of earlier experiences and what has led to them using their body and using food as a way to kind of bear their pain so always starting with their own unique personal experiences and only at that point and it can take a while and again it's not linear can you then begin to do some of the psychoeducation around unlearning what has been learned through these oppressive kind of systems such as diet culture that's beautiful it and then like you can move digging. on to kind of it sounds like you're digging uh say that again it sounds like you're digging for that root right you're looking for hey where is it that um you feel incomplete that makes you yeah. believe the societal narrative and lean into that yeah. and if we just try to give it i think you're saying if we just give you a tip like you know appreciate yourself or whatever there's still that root there that's never going to go away until you get exactly. all the way down so to a bit side. like i don't appreciate myself yeah. because i didn't feel loved and cared for by my caregivers or i didn't feel seen or whatever it may be yeah you're on to it and i think a bit like you said katie at the beginning when you were on this podcast and you're being asked to name three things about what you love about your body it's like we can't skip to that bit without doing this work first mm. um because we can all we can all stand in the mirror and we can say affirmations but that becomes just another um another kind of method to a solution to managing kind of underlying mental health issues and yes if we repeat them they're, they're more helpful to hear than maybe those kind of critical internal scripts but ultimately unless we do that inner work and that kind of messier underlying work and you know therapy is one way to do it but it can be done in other safe places as well with people that we trust if we are raising our kind of unconscious into our conscious awareness and gaining insight and being reflective 
it's at that point that then those affirmations are really going to ring true. You're not just feeling them off, for example. Yeah, so what's I have a couple of things about that. So what's interesting is I've never really been a fan of the tips and the tools. Like, I'm just like, it's too mm-hmm. hard to say what is a tip and a tool for you that would be a tip and a tool for me anyway, just even if we had both done that work. Um, I think where my passion really lies is in the awareness of the, to- the toxic societal um, implications that come with the messages that we receive in our family systems, in our community systems, in the media systems. And I think that that's why when people join our community, I get it's tricky, right? Because I I'm, I'm have a, a big group of people that I'm trying to navigate in a way where I can't give them, where I'm not a therapist and I can't give them the one-on-one, right? So this is part of the reason why I have said I really like people to focus on a deeper intention that brings them closer to self. Because I do believe that when you sit in an intention that's meaningful for you, some of that work and awareness, like you're asking the universe to bring you these experiences when you do that. So part of the reason why I ask people in our community to start with the intention is because I believe if they can really truly sit with an intention, that that will invite that work in and they'll be able to go down a path. So I hope that WeShape opens the door for the path, but I recognize that the path is different for everybody. Secondarily, I do hope that WeShape offers people a product or a tool that helps them connect with their body through movement because I do know that a lot of other workout products on the market are really aiming to burn calories and to do this and to do that. So if I can offer people, people have a desire to work out and move and I can offer them a product that's also rooted in this, I'm happy to do that as well. But one of the areas that I really want to focus on I've always been fascinated with family systems, community systems, and all of the belief systems that we adhere to that we don't even know we're adhering to because we're just children growing up in these environments. Um, Before I was in health and fitness, my background was in child and adolescent development. And it's fascinating to me when I look back, you know, you go to, I mean, I went to school so many years ago, but there are things that always stuck with me that like research things that I'm like, I can never forget that. And one of them was this study they had done on media, where there was like a couple small countries that had never had the type of media that we had had have. And they, yes, and they introduced the magazines and different TV commercials. And those uh, countries had not had, they had not seen eating disorders before. And I was like, yeah. You know, because in the psychological world, in, 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 in developmental psychology, there's always the, the debate around nature versus nurture, right? And so it, I remember mm-hmm. feeling like, I just want an answer. Is it nature or nurture? And I left going, I don't know that still. It's, <laughs> it's, it's inconclusive. But it was the one study I was like, well, that is, that is, that is not, you know, that is clear that we're introducing this and we're having problems. So it was like the correlation was so strong that it always stuck with me. So I want to spend some time bringing awareness because I do think awareness is very powerful. And I think if we can better understand the system that we've all unknowingly subscribed to and we can separate ourselves from that system and bring more awareness, that in itself can create a lot of power and a lot of shift in our own, in our own system. So maybe you can help me better yeah. understand, like, what do you think would be a, a, where should we go in this direction, knowing that I want to talk about, like, what do you think is the most powerful thing for us to, to unravel around societal well, systems and family systems? and Give us some tips and tools. Yeah. No, do not give us tips and tools. He's joking. Systems. 
And, you know, tips and tools are necessary, but at that top surface. So the way, just to kind of follow on from that, the way that um, I think we we reclaim our relationship with our bodies because if we think about the system kind of owning that when we are being obedient and compliant to the system is to be able to do it in this kind of way where we're understanding our own stuff then we're understanding the systems Mm. and the psychoeducation around the oppressive systems and then the third part is kind of like right what does this look like in day-to-day life so there's a place for all of this and and this is just my lens this is is this is the way that i work but yeah that psychoeducation around the oppressive systems and the fact that we were born with all the wisdom that we need in terms of how to eat and to register our hunger and fullness cues and to like you said nina like appreciate our bodies and not critique our bodies when we were younger to then developing under this conditioning um, a dislike of our bodies and an abandonment of ourselves and our bodies and control around food so i think in terms of systems i always think that our family is our first system that we enter into so quite often the role that we play in our family system is then carried through into other systems so then if we are the good girl, let's say, within our family system, then it's likely that at school we might also be that compliant, obedient pupil. And then as we enter the workplace, that those behaviours can also be present within the workplace. And then when we think about bigger systems such as diet culture, we're also can play that role too and therefore be obedient and compliant by doing what they say which is counting calories and keeping to the thin ideal wow i love so yeah that's how i I kind of think about systems i love that because to me like so much of our lives we think is um is choice right like we're doing this out of like free will right now and if you pay really close attention at least in my own experience of analyzing my own behavior it's mostly reactions that are are early software patterns that you know, I, I, I got as a, a young child and they just keep replaying and replaying and replaying. And the more you can bring awareness to those and go deeper and deeper in those, the more you have the opportunity to say, hold on, I'm going to choose a different way rather than staying stuck in this pattern and this narrative. Um, to, to expand on that, like, are there particular avenues that you, you would typically take people down? Like, I think when I say tools and tips, like, I know that sounds like, um, you know, like we're looking for this superficial top layer thing but I'm sure that if you were to you know think about all the people you've worked with you have a handful of different things that you you notice are common that people could explore in themselves to hopefully find that find their way back to um you know that that self that doesn't judge themselves and 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 dislike you know the way they look are there any patterns or things that you could share with us that people could explore yeah I think I think there are some good frameworks that um can be offered to each individual and that will look different on each individual depending on their their own um ways of viewing the world and viewing themselves but one of those frameworks is intuitive eating so um i trained to become an intuitive eating practitioner and what that does is it kind of bridges the gap between somebody's decision to stop dieting and them healing their relationship with 
food and with their body. And it offers 10 principles and we'll each internalize those 10 principles differently. But it's a bit of a framework, a bit of containment around these big topics that allows people to explore um, different kind of ways in which they've related to food and how that has impacted on them. So the first principle is rejecting the diet mentality. So looking at ways in which they are absorbed by diet culture. So how does it impact them on a daily basis? And then being able to kind of bring that to their conscious awareness. And I think that's really important, that that first step, because I know I can speak from my own experience. I didn't even really, I, I was so consumed by it that it was almost like it was just second nature, you know, that we would count calories and that we would... Um, critique our outfits or the way that that we looked so really kind of being aware of that initially is a really good um the first principle of intuitive eating and then it goes through various others alongside behavioral experiments such as giving yourself full permission to eat the foods that have been forbidden for so long um and with these kind of various different steps you're kind of always moving towards healing your relationship with food. I am currently on an intuitive eating journey um, after ditching <laughs> when we started this podcast going, this is all wrong. I've got to stop doing this bad behavior or this not, I don't want to say bad behavior, but this in like this indoctrination behavior, basically. That of, wasn't serving you. That wasn't serving me. Absolutely. Um, of counting calories and et cetera. And I realized when you were talking about family systems, I had like this enormous download just now where I go to the grocery store and I have given, I'm at the stage right now where I'm giving myself full permission to eat and purchase foods that maybe for me feel like they're not okay to have either in the house because I'll eat too much of them or etc and I'm like oh my god I grew up in a dynamic where I wasn't really taught to trust myself to make decisions and like that has mm -hmm. fully been played out into a system where diet culture is like you do this because you can't trust your body and like it hit me like a ton of bricks when you said that and I have not made that connection previously and like goodness my heart yeah. is like racing I think that this is a phenomenal segue because I feel like Nina and I cannot have Sarah on the podcast without talking about, first of all, Sarah, mine and me, Nina and I have been friends for, I don't know, 15 years or something. We lose count sometimes. And I would say the last 12 years of our friend, you know, the first 12 years of our friendship were predicated on what diet we were doing together. Oh, yeah. Literally for like over a decade. We were like Batman and Robin. Yeah. It was, it was constant. So to be able to do this work together is extremely powerful and healing for both of us. Yeah. Um, that's how we used to connect yeah. with one another. Um, but I can't not have a, a part of this episode with you here and your expertise and your experience talking about the implications specifically to people who identify as female. Because so much of what we're saying and so much of what's resonating, especially, I mean, I, I identify as female and my whole life a message in um, this, the various systems that I have been subscribed to is that you can't trust what, what you feel inside. And, I, you know, yeah. Tyler and I have run health and fitness businesses for 10 years now, and it wasn't until the last two years that I said, I'm not participating in it anymore. I would go to various events and functions and all of us own fitness companies and we're so healthy and something inside of me felt dead. 
And I thought, man, Katie, you're just not grateful enough. You just don't have enough gratitude for your success. And you just, if you just buttoned up your attitude a little bit more. But what was really happening is that my intuition was saying, you're not in alignment with what's happening here. You don't, you yeah. don't want to subscribe to this channel, but my dial was, my di my volume was turned down so low to listen to that. And so I do want to have a deeper discussion around the implications of some of these systems around people who identify as female, because I know you and I have felt the weight of that so heavily. And like Nina and I probably both identify as people who want to show up and be the good girl. And I had just enough of that adolescence in me that still remained where the teenage voice inside me said, don't do that. <laughs> like it was just it was be like, quiet. Luckily, I feel so grateful that that part of me, that that rebellious part of me was still turned up to one because it's mm -hmm. hopeless if it's turned down to zero. Right. I can feel that way. Absolutely. Um, so I want to I want to. Isn't it interesting? Go ahead. Sorry, Katie. I'm interrupting you. I was going to say that you refer to that part of you as rebellious and as teenage like almost like you're playing up or but it's not rebellious that's just your intuition that was saying no that something doesn't feel right but even that that knowledge that data that your body was telling you is almost like we're referring to her as a naughty teenager as rebellious oh no and it's, so is... <laughs> it's so deep it's so deep it's so it's part of the problem and i think diet culture and sexism we can't talk about diet culture without talking about sexism and um you know this good girl script that we all kind of adhere to if you are if you are born female that there is this expectation that you will stay small and that you will um shrink yourself so we think about it as shrinking our bodies but also what we're doing at that exact same time because we're hungry is also um shrinking our opinions our voices our cognition our memory so when i say about when i stopped dieting it was probably about four or five years ago now i feel sharper mentally you know i feel as though i have more energy because what happens is when we are hungry there's that um cerebral atrophy which is the starved brain which is literally when you think about it in terms of a baby or an elder person if they don't have enough nutrition they don't have enough food it doesn't matter what that food is but they don't have enough food they don't have enough energy and they are going to have reduced cognition reduced um they're going to experience fatigue so that's what happens we we have populations of women walking around and they're hungry and they and they therefore are tractable you know that Naomi Wolf quote that says that dieting is the most potent political sedative yeah, because wow. uh, madly I don't know the exact quote but it's a dieting is the, the most powerful political sedative because we can um it we become tractable when we are not sharp and mentally kind of fit so i've gone off in a bit of a no there, no no you didn't because i think that i mean just even you pointing out that that narrative in my mind was rebellious because that is the messaging that i get when i say no i don't yeah. want to do that I don't want to participate and people are looking at me like I'm crazy because I have these businesses that are generating all this revenue and I'm like I just want to not have that money I don't care about that money like I just yeah. it, it just 
I, I don't want it anymore. Like something inside of me yeah. is dying because I, I'm subscribing to this. And yeah. the thing that I thought about when you said that women are starving is the sadder part of that to me is that they don't even know they're starving. They have normalized yeah. that hunger feeling. They don't even know. You know, I um, was a neurotic eater for many years, and um, I can't eat gluten, I can't eat sugar, I can't eat this, I can't eat that, and it wasn't until, um, you know, our family was gluten-free, and I, our daughter had gone through a process where she was like, I don't want to subscribe to that anymore, and she actually told, and we caught her, like, eating gluten at, you know, different things, and I said, oh, we just want to check in with you. Um, about that. She had Lyme disease at the time, so we were trying to really manage nutrition. And then I, she said, Mom, I'm in jail, and if you're not going to let me out, I'm going to let me mm-hmm. out. And I said, she oh. Caught, she caught some of your rebellious yeah. nature. Uh, yeah. Well, Sorry. Good. I said, everything <laughs> yeah. has to change. Everything has to change, mm-hmm. and it has to change with me. And so mm-hmm. that was a huge journey for me to, to really release the handcuffs of the food And it is funny that you talk about that because now I do kind of eat whatever I want. I'm not completely like, I'm like, sometimes I'm like, okay, like I'm feeling sick. Like don't eat, like, you know, I'm, I'm still mindful about the food choices that I make because I do have a desire to have energy and not feel sluggish all the time. But I do have the croissant. I do have the cake. I do have all the things now. And Mm -hmm. I probably have never eaten more in my life and I've probably never felt more energetically, psychologically, and emotionally sound. And I really didn't make that connection until you said women were walking around hungry. And I was like, oh, my God, I was probably under eating for years. For years. But we think that as women, if we're not 100 pounds, that we're not under eating, right? Because there's like this connection with people who under eat having to have a certain body type. And so I don't even know how many women are aware that they're hungry because I wasn't aware that I was hungry. I literally wasn't. And so, yeah, I, I really appreciate you talking about that because it, I do feel like I have more energy and, 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 and more stamina and more, you know what I mean? Like I do feel completely different in my body and arguably I went the wrong way, right? In the air quotes, the wrong way because I said I can have gluten if I want. I can have sugar if I want. I can have anything I want. And, um, but yeah, I think that we label those parts, like you said, rebellious or teenage-like because it is against the grain. It's not what we are told is the best way to go. Yeah. So when your daughter came to you and said that, that was her following her intuition and she was fortunate enough to have parents who said, okay, let's think about that. Let's pause and and I'm going to support you and I'm going to hear you and I'm going to validate you. But if that is, you can see how if you are in that initial primary system where you're not validated and where you're told to not trust your intuition, then that is exacerbated by this kind of bigger societal system of diet culture, of sexism, um, and like you were saying, of capitalism as well, that need that somehow you should be happy because you're earning this much money. So you're told to measure your worth and pitch your worth against what's in your bank account, how much you weigh, you know, all of these kind of things that are external to us. And I remember too when, um, because your daughter is such a teacher for us. I feel so grateful for her. I mean, she's almost 10 years old and she is just like spicy and wonderful. And we're like, I learned so much from watching her grow up. It's almost like, I mean, she's not my kid, but it's almost like a reparenting experience to be able to see her grow up in a different dynamic than the one that you and I both grew up in. Um, But I remember when she first started kind of becoming aware of her body, because that's a part of life where you kind of think more about you versus someone else. I think when you're a really young child, you don't see separation 
duration in the same way as adults do. And I remember when she kind of started being aware of herself, we were like, ooh, we have to be really secret about our diets now. Yeah. And like that was our plan was to like go in the other room and like talk about how we were going to like control what we were eating rather than do it in front of her. Because in our minds, of course, we have this ideal that we want her to grow up and love herself and feel differently than we felt. But being millennial women who grew up like watching shows where the women were as thin as possible because that was the look of the time, um, we were like, no, 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 we're going to still sit over here and do what we're doing, but we're going to try to help you not do it. (laughs) And it was just this bizarre thing. And thank goodness, I actually am really proud to say that it's been, I want to say months longer. I mean, then we have sat and talked about what can we do with the way we're eating and the way we're moving. And that hasn't been a topic of conversation. And the, I would say it's actually been way. Yeah, it's, it's probably been, been way longer. Yeah. But like, I, I don't think about it anymore. And the depth of our friendship has changed, right? Like we don't talk about that. Yeah. And I don't want to call it trivial because it absorbs your mind when you're hungry. And when you're thinking about how you look in your clothes, it's almost all you think about. It's almost it all you can talk about. Yeah. like obsessive loops. And then it's like, kind of like what you said back to the political comment it's like here's the box that we're going to have women sit in and here's the system that they're going to be subscribed to and indoctrinated in and all of these things will keep them there it's so powerful and when I stopped obsessing about food and my body and the clothes when I just said this isn't important to me anymore my complete my entire world opened up it was like Mm -hmm. look at all the other things that I can do in this life that I can experience and yeah. um, I, you know, I, exercise is no longer a punishment. Like I have desire to move my body, to go to a yoga class, mm-hmm. to go for a hike, to use our product and, and, and move my body. Like it's not mm-hmm. coming from a place of I feel like shit about myself. I look at the woman on this magazine. To. I ate something I wasn't supposed to. Now here's my penance to pay. It's I have a desire to connect with my body and move my body because it feels good. And that is true authentic power in my opinion. When you're using exercise as a form of punishment, that is subscribing to a system that keeps you small because you're being punished. When movement and exercise is used as a way to express yourself and lean into your power and feel good, you're this big, right? So I just, Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you bringing up the 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 gender thing because it it's it's paralyzing sometimes I, I know that feeling yeah. of like I'm not going to get out of this how do I get out of this everyone around me is telling me to do this and I feel like I'm the only one who doesn't want to do it well, yeah I, just to, it's, just a comment on it's that so consuming I feel like you know I watch a lot of people stay small um, in this world and I think that you know, beyond just subscribing to the diet culture, people have a a fear of standing out from the norm. And, you know, I think the more people that are able to do this work and appreciate themselves and their bodies, the more we give everyone else permission to do the same and not feel as much fear. Um, I don't know if I have a question related to that, but I would be interested in your perspective on that because you said, you know, we're hungry and so we stay small. I think a large part of people's energy to listen to that inner intuition also comes from those obsessive loops and that 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 thought energy spent in that. But like, how do how do we get people to love themselves enough to stand up and, and just be who they authentically are instead of, you know, put on a mask and walk around the world? with it it's a loaded yeah, question it's, it's a it's hard a, job yeah it's um i think it comes back to that self-awareness you know and being aware that 
they are part of a system that we are born into these kind of oppressive system feminism capitalism diet culture um, weight stigma so we need to register the threat as well because from an evolutionary perspective if we didn't fit in with the pack right then we would die so when people think i want to be thin it's about fitting in it's about safety it's about security we think it's about what we look like but when we dig much deeper it's about you know the the need for survival it's kind of hardwired in us to to fit in with the norm to fit in with the pack but we don't don't have those external threats we don't have the bear coming over the hill anymore so we don't need to we don't we don't have those same evolutionary threats as we did before and they have just been used we are it's almost like our nervous systems have been co-opted by diet culture and we are sold all of these lies and these ways of kind of these threats that keep us compliant. So we talked about the kind of health threat, which is ultimately I need to stay healthy, otherwise I'll die. I need to fit in, I need to look a certain way, otherwise I won't be loved and I won't be respected. So it's kind of, they are using these kind of, uh, these huge um, emotive motivators to keep people very obedient and compliant. And one other huge way, which I think is so important that we talk about is, the social justice lens of this work and Nina you touched on it when you said um on your Instagram you can see that people are ridiculing fat people in the gym you know like I mean it's such a huge part of this work and I think it's also important that for me talking about this that I recognize my thin privilege when talking about fat issues because, um, yeah, unless you have that lived experience, I will never understand what it's like to go onto a plane and not be able to be accommodated for that. My body is just eradicated. You know, I won't understand what it's like to go to a gym and for that to be a genuinely unsafe place. So sometimes when we talk about bailing on the scale and, you know, my logo has the scale with the hammer on it, <laughs> It's also important to know that the scale, the gym, the losing weight, the diets are armor for people to just exist within the world without discrimination. And it acts as protection. You know, this is such deep layered work that it is when we say we can break free from it, that that's a lot easier for 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 us who are in socially acceptable bodies. We're recovering, although um yeah my body has changed and got bigger and softer as i stopped dieting but i am still in a socially acceptable thin kind of privileged position um so yeah i really wanted to touch upon that because i know katie as well you were saying about talking about these other kind of systems that influence diet culture and weight stigma is something really significant that that keeps people stuck in this cycle I appreciate you bringing so, yeah, that up if we because said to... it was a fear of mine to to do this work and have that thin privilege. Um, but something inside of me said the work was still important to do and that we can address it as it yeah. comes up and to be open to it because yeah. um, it, it's kind of, it's, yeah, I mean, we will never understand that. And I want to offer um, 
an open mind and uh, awareness to to all of the perspectives because I'm only one of them. Um, and so I really deeply appreciate you bringing that up. I think it's a really important point that we have to bring up and revisit over and over and over again. And yeah. um, I know we're coming up on our time, but I, I definitely want to... You know, I think you you've done so much work in 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 this in this field that I, I really want to make sure, you know, part of the way that I think that cycles are broken and I'm always open to if you're like, that's not the way. <laughs> but part of the way is I think for the people who are a part of the group who are the oppressor is for those people to have an open mind and to hear the narratives and the stories of those who are being oppressed. And so, um, like you said, we can't talk about toxic diet culture without talking about sexism. So for the white privileged men who are out there, who are open-minded, who want to create change, like I believe that the change has to come from the people who are oppressed, but it also really has to come from the oppressor, right? Because they have more Mm -hmm. power in some of these like societal implications is if there's a a white privilege, like Tyler's very open-minded, right? So it's like when we're having these dialogues, I'm like, sometimes you don't understand. I'm like, you you don't know what it's like to be a woman and you're just like constantly obsessing about how you look, right? And we talked about this when we had Katie Wells on the podcast. Like when men go to the gym, they're like, your gains. And when women go, it's you're you're losing, you're getting smaller. When men go, they're getting bigger, right? Mm For the, for the people who are, who are open and who want to create change who have that kind of privilege and power. So, like, if you got to tell Tyler one thing today, for example, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to oh. throw, throw you under the bus. <laughs> Let's do it. When it relates to sexism, I think it's important. You're the co-founder of a company that's trying to, to break toxic weight loss culture, but you're in the most privileged position in our society by far. I'm in the second most privileged position. So... For, for those in those positions that are open-minded that really do want to help and create change, is there something specific, that, a message that you, or a type of awareness that you'd like us to have? Or what w- if you had the platform to be able to say that, like what would, you, what would you talk about? What awareness would you bring? I think it's about, this is, um, yeah, this is tricky, but I think it's about those who, are oppressed the most as a result of the harms that the systems have caused fronting the change fronting the movements so like giving those people the biggest voice includes women yeah includes women but it also includes fat women and fat black women so people who are deemed the minority groups to have the biggest voice Mm. in terms of this movement. Um, So, yeah, being able to step back and to learn from fat voices, um, Aubrey Gordon, um, Sonia Renee-Taylor, other authors such as Sabrina Strings, you know, that we are learning from people that are have lived experience, that our platforms are not just used by us, but by people who are living in larger bodies, that we are raising awareness through allowing other voices to exist alongside our own and not centering ourselves. That's, that. yeah. 
I love that. This is this is the social justice part of this work that is at the core, and I think is really really important to this movement is that we can support with our privilege the movement in action by elevating the voices of those who are most oppressed. I have something to add to that just for any men listening. Um, I think that when I look at my own evolution as a human, if I go back several years, um, you can't hear someone's pain unless you're in touch with feelings. And one thing that I really don't like about society is how little room there is for little boys learning to be in touch with their feelings. And I think that if men are gonna do some work, it's really getting in touch with those and understanding what they feel like in your body and, what, and experiencing them so that when somebody comes to you with their own set of feelings, they make sense to you. And for me, um, I remember many years ago, like being in a therapist's office with you, Katie, and uh, the therapist saying, how do you feel? And I was like, what does that mean? And they gave me a laminated yeah. card and I had to read from the card how I felt about it. And so that person isn't able to hear the pain from another person. They're stuck in their privilege. Um, in yeah. order for me to hear more, I had to go deeper, 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 deeper and find a lot more compassion for myself. And I've heard you say this several times. Uh, ask the question, why, am I, why is this my scorecard? Why is my bank account my scorecard? Why is my looks my scorecard? Because um, I feel like they're the wrong fucking scorecards at the end of the day. I think that coming closer to yourself and kindness and compassion for other should be the scorecard that everybody has. That's my hope, at least. Well, that highlights a very challenging loop. Of most men are raised in a society where feelings are seen as a failure or weakness, but yet those very feelings are what allow you the access to uplift the people who are the most oppressed. Yeah. So I, 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 any any friend of mine who's recently come to me and said they're pregnant with a little boy, I say you have some hard work ahead of you, mm. because especially if they're a white male because you have some really important work to do with that young man entering mm -hmm. the world because we need we need a shift there. And I think yeah. that's why and I was always really fascinated and probably went into child development is because I saw right away that the root of all these things were probably coming from childhood. And so I appreciate you yeah. saying that because it is we need people like you to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves but you're also pointing out that we need people like you to be supported in this way so that you can do that work so that you can stand up for people so yeah and it's not just supported and it's this just is very understand much... that that's the process understand that you can't see yeah. others until you really see yourself you know you can't yeah. feel into what others are feeling until you feel into what you've experienced and that's hard yeah. that's hard work it's scary work it's work that i am privileged enough to have had a lot of support and help in through lots of different therapies. Yeah. And um, one yeah. thing I will say is it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. And I think that's just following on on that, that when you were talking about your daughter, you know, and you would have to go into the other room to talk about diet culture, your daughter cannot accept her body until you really mm. have done this work yourself. And that's kind of what we've been, what we've been talking about. And for me, raising a little white boy um 
who can be whoever he wants to be. I have a very tough job ahead of me, but a bit like you were saying with your daughter, it is about the generational changes. I don't know if in our lifetime, well, I I think we can definitely say for sure that within our generation, um, I'll be 36 next month, um, we will not see, this will not be the end of diet culture. It will not be the end of males being told that they need to be big and strong and not feel and that women need to stay small but that it is our job as parents so this is about that kind of again coming back to the family systems about how we raise our children and I will be raising my little boy to be sensitive to be emotional I say this I don't know what's going to happen but I will be asking him most days how does he feel so um but I have a very tough job ahead of me because of the societal conditioning that he will be met with as he grows old. So yeah, it's um, it's very messy work and it's very intergenerational. There's a social justice lens. There's kind of this kind of underlying trauma childhood aspect to it. There's the intuitive eating aspect to it. There's the psychoeducation. There's so many layers to this work, but it is very important work. And for as long as these conversations exist is for as long as we're moving forward. Well, I so beautifully said, first of all, it is messy work. And I deeply appreciate the work that you're doing because I think it it's so impactful. And like you said, that common thread and that you saw in your early work was was really obvious. And now you're really like, I got to focus on this because this is this is what we need to do. So we're so grateful that you were here with us today. What a rich, meaningful conversation. I hope people can get a lot from it. And where can people find you if they want to find out more about your work? Um, so our Instagram handle is at Intuitive Psychology Academy. And the website is intuitivepsychologyacademy.com. Wonderful. I just want to say, too, like I'm going to join up on Nina's crew here to advocate for best friend club, yeah so. are you available yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much i'm totally available for you guys because <laughs> that's also something that happens as you evolve and as your kind of um ways of thinking about the world and what's important and not contributing to that harm by staying stuck in diet culture or critiquing your body there is a jarring that happens in the, those existing friendships where you no longer want to participate in that but they maybe are still stuck in that. Yeah, so there's there's grief work attached to this, just to layer that in as just well. Just to add to the messy pile <laughs> Sprinkle of, anything yeah. extra on <laughs> That's top. That's another episode. <laughs> Let's do that one. As well. And there's joy and headspace and, you know, beautiful stuff that can come out of doing this work as well. So, yeah, and I also just want to say that I think it's really awesome that I feel, yeah, really, it's really great to be asked to be on this podcast and to contribute towards this conversation because this is great. Like you are, you are a weight centric exercise kind of for weight loss company and to completely change your ways of thinking around that is really brave. And that's for you to, you know, putting your head above the parapet and saying, we want to do that differently. And I, I expect along the way, there's been kind of 
maybe financial consequences and things as a result of that but you're still staying to what feels right and what's in alignment with your values and that's that's the purpose of life that kind of meaning of doing meaningful work and meaningful connection well thank you so much it's been it's been a long journey for sure but I feel um tremendous gratitude for even the hard times that it's come with so well I hope our paths cross again I'm sure they will I have a feeling they will. So um, thank you again for your time and for your amazing insights and perspective. And we will connect again soon. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's show. Now, before you go, it would mean a lot to us if you could take a moment right now to subscribe to the podcast and then leave us a review. This helps spread the word so more people can feel lighter by shedding one belief at a time. Also, we want to hear from you. So if this episode impacted you or you have any questions that you think would be great for us or any of our future guests, please feel free to email us at podcast at weshape.com. And finally, if you want to try WeShape's different approach to health and fitness, remember that right now you can sign up for WeShape's Feel Good Challenge and get access to everything WeShape has to offer for free. Just click the link in our podcast description or go to weshape.com slash challenge to sign up.